Hello, welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Nicole Butler with Fresno Madera Medical Society, and today we're here talking about fatty liver disease with Marina Reitman, um, Dr. Marina Reitman, and she is the director of the liver program at UCSF Fresno. Welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming in. And Dr. Reitman's been here in the past, and so we're super happy to have her back. And so the fatty liver disease topic is an interesting one because I don't know if I've ever talked to anybody about this this um, disease. So what exactly, let's start early. Let's start, what does the liver actually do for the body? That's a great question. So the liver does a number of things. The liver makes certain things such as protein to help our bodies to be nourished. It also makes another type of protein that helps our blood to coagulate or to become sticky and prevent us from bleeding. The liver also functions as a cleaning station of the body in a way similar to what the kidneys do. Now, the question that is often asked, why don't we have liver dialysis just like we have kidney dialysis? And the answer to that is the kidneys largely just do the cleaning function while the liver does both the making of the stuff function and the cleaning function. And the making of the stuff is very hard to replicate outside of the human body. That's why we do not have liver dialysis as of now. Okay. So when you say it, the protein, it, so it makes the protein and the nutrients, which makes sense, and it makes your blood um, coagulate. What, so what is it actually cleaning? Is it just the, the bad things that you're putting into your body? That too, but also our bodies, everybody's body, makes toxin as we digest the food, as we metabolize uh, things during our daily routine. And uh, if the cleaning station, such as liver, isn't working, it can lead to the accumulation of toxins in the body. And people with advanced liver disease may experience pretty severe confusion as a result of accumulation of these toxins in the body. So clearly, it's a very important function of the liver to get rid of those toxins. Okay. So when, when your liver is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, it, I'm assuming that's considered liver your liver's damaged, correct? Correct. Okay. And if, so I guess what is fatty liver disease then? Is that, is that what is happening to your liver if, if it's, if it's damaged or are there different types of, of damage? So there are certainly many types of liver damage. Um, you can get your liver damaged by drinking too much alcohol. We all know that, but there is many, many other ways to have your liver damaged. Uh, you can certainly ha acquire liver damage by um, being infected with viral hepatitis, such as hepatitis B or C. Uh, the liver can be damaged by a number of inherited conditions, such as uh, a condition that causes you to build up too much iron in your body, and a number of other autoimmune conditions, uh, uh, other inborn conditions. But one of the most common ways that the liver can be damaged is by accumulating fat in the, liver, in it, in the liver. So why does that happen? Well, the, the thing is that in the United States and in a lot of industrialized countries, we're facing an epidemic of obesity and an epidemic of diabetes. When we become heavy, when we accumulate fat in our bodies, the liver accumulates fat as well. And uh, accumulation of fat in the liver can be as damaging to the liver as drinking alcohol or having hepatitis C. So the fat in the liver is what damages the liver. 
So when somebody is um, obese or somebody has a lot of weight, is is I guess this could be a dumb question, but is the is it a, an even distribution of fat? So if I'm getting fat around my midsection, is my liver getting just as fat, or does it do you, do you get fat then it attacks your liver? I guess that's kind of weird, but no, that's not a weird question. It's a um, it's a really good question because. We do see some patients who are morbidly obese or extremely obese, and their liver is fine. On the other hand, we may see some patients who are just a little bit heavy, certainly not obese, and they're, they're suffering from fatty liver disease. So it's certainly more complex just being o- than just being overweight. For example, there are certain populations that are genetically more predisposed to developing bad effects of the fatty liver disease even at a lower weight and a lower um, burden of what we call risk factors. For example, in Central Valley, it's very relevant to our Hispanic population. So Hispanics are prone to developing fatty liver disease at the lesser degree of obesity and in a lesser degree of diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, as compared to the Caucasians or African-Americans. I mean, do we know why that is? We do. Um, there is um, something called the genetic polymorphism. What that means it's, is that the genes are made slightly differently in the Hispanics and in some of the Asian folks than in the Caucasian folks. And that, it's not a genetic mutation. It's just a different genetic makeup. And that difference in genetic makeup in Hispanics, for example, makes them more prone to accumulate fat or also known as triglycerides in the liver quicker at a lower weight. Okay. So what are some of the, are there symptoms, I guess, that that somebody would be experiencing that would steer them towards a fatty liver disease? See, the the tragic things about liver disease and fatty liver disease um, in particular, that it can be asymptomatic for years and years until the significant liver damage has occurred. In other words, patients may not know that they have liver disease until they've gotten to the point of liver damage that the liver no no longer works well, called liver cirrhosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, symptoms can be very nonspecific. Patients may feel a little tired. There may be some discomfort on the right side of the abdomen, but it's very hard to diagnose fatty liver or suspect fatty liver in yourself just based on the symptoms. So is there a way, if you do kind of fit the model of the genetics as far as being Hispanic, is there a way that they could find out if they have it? Absolutely. So what we're doing these days is we're really starting to look at what's called risk factors. So there are certain risk factors that predispose patients to developing fatty liver disease. And certainly uh, being of Hispanic origin is one of those risk factors. Other risk factors include um, having diabetes or elevated blood sugar, uh, having high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and being overweight or obese. And we're talking about being overweight or obese. We particularly focus on what we call central obesity, which is um, kind of a spare tire around our abdomen. This particular type of obesity is a very strong risk factor for fatty liver disease. So once we know that a patient fits, you know, some of the criterias or some of the risk factors, we're more likely to actively look for signs and symptoms of fatty liver disease in them. 
So um, how has that test performed? I'm just curious. So there's a, <laughs> there's a number of tests that we can do. Uh, certainly one of the easiest tests that the prim- probably your, your internist or your regular doctor may start with is uh, a blood test. A blood test will look at a number of different things. It would look at uh, what we call liver enzymes. And liver enzymes are often the first thing that becomes abnormal if the liver is being damaged or is unhappy in any way. The other things that the blood test look is um, at the markers of liver function. We talked earlier about um, that the liver is, in, is responsible for nutrition, coagulation, as well as uh, bilirubin production. So bilirubin is the stuff that makes you yellow if your liver doesn't work well. So uh, the blood test, the liver test, will also look at the bilirubin, which is the marker of um, liver function, albumin, which is the marker of um, nutrition, so to speak, as well as something called uh, an INR, which is the marker of stickiness of the blood. So all of those things are available through a very simple blood test. Okay. And is that something that you're finding that a primary care physician would be ordering for a physician? I mean, for a patient? So we are um, working on educating the primary care providers that this is an important thing. Because like I said earlier, we're facing this obesity and diabetes epidemic. So people need to become, providers need to become more aware that this is an issue. Mm -hmm. So once you've identified that the lab test may be abnormal, uh, your primary care provider will... um, Um, embark on a search of why these things are abnormal. They will make sure you don't have viral hepatitis, you don't have iron problems, and uh, they will do um, the the following one or two things. One is an ultrasound. Ultrasound is a test that looks at the surface of the liver to see if there is any lumps or bumps, any tumors or masses in the liver, and that's a very helpful test to evaluate the liver. The test that I think is really, really um, helpful in evaluating fatty liver specifically is called transient elastography or fiber scan. What that does is uh, it non-invasively, without needles, without biopsy, uh, tells us two things. One, how much scarring is in your liver, and two, how much fat is in the liver. Well, you're going to ask, well, how can we do that without actually sticking um, a needle into the liver? It's, um, it's a kind of ingeniously designed instrument. So if we think of a rubber ball, and the rubber ball is um, um, nice and squishy as the rubber ball is supposed to be, and you send a sound wave through the rubber ball, it's going to take its time getting through a nice and squishy rubber ball. However, on the flip side, if you have a rubber ball that is kind of old and scarred, like your cirrhotic liver, the sound wave is going to have a much easier time to go through something solid than through something soft. Mm -hmm. So what we can do, we can correlate the degree of um, liver stiffness or liver scarring to how fast the sound wave travels through the liver. So... It's done um, in a five-minute procedure, and it gives us an incredible amount of information. As a bonus, in addition to telling us how much scarring is in the liver, we can also find out how much fat is in the liver. So how do we do that? Well, again, we're back to the rubber ball analogy, and imagine that the rubber ball is homogeneous. Their sound wave is traveling through the rubber ball, and it's not bumping into anything. However, on the flip side, 
if we have um, a liver or a rubber ball with fatty liver disease and it's full of fat inclusions, the sound wave is going to bump into the, those fat inclusions and it's going to get smaller. This is called a wave attenuation. So we can correlate the degree of wave attenuation or how much smaller does the wave get to the degree of fat deposits in the liver. So five to 10 minute test gives you a tremendous amount of information about the health of your liver. That's amazing. That's amazing technology that it's so simple. So it's, it's something that you could, you do in your office for, per se. It's that's easy. It's that, I don't want to make it sound like it's an easy procedure, but it's something, something that it could be done. No anesthesia. You're just laying down and they're, they're, uh, is it similar to like an ultrasound over your liver? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's a very simple procedures. It, it's usually done by trained technicians. So it doesn't necessarily have to be done by a physician. The results are interpreted by a physician, very similar to the ultrasound, like you said. And yes, there's no anesthesia involved. Uh, you do need to be fasting for two to three hours. But again, there's no overnight fast. There's no cleansing of the system, such as we need with colonoscopy. That's, That's fascinating. Yeah. So um, let's go back to a little bit more, because when you said fatty liver, I envision fat around your liver, but it's not. It's actually inside of your liver. Exactly. And so that's why it's not able to cleanse and process because something has to run through the liver. Um, great question. <clears throat> yes, a lot of people think that the fat is around the liver. And oftentimes my patients ask me, well, what can we just do the surgery and remove the fat? Wouldn't that resolve the problem? Well, it unfortunately doesn't because where the fat is, is actually in the liver cells. So when we do the fiber scan, the fiber scan reading will tell me the percentage of the liver cells that are full of fat. So in extreme cases, you can have uh, over 66% of the liver cells basically being full of fat or replaced by fat. And obviously, this is the type of fat that we cannot uh, remove surgically. Now, the second part of your question is, why is that a problem? Does the fat itself causes the liver not to function? Well, not exactly. What the fat does is causes, it causes inflammation. Inflammation is what causes our liver enzymes to go up. And this is what you would notice on the blood, blood test, okay. right? Over time, inflammation is not good for the liver. And over time, it would lead to liver scarring. So now the liver scarring is the real enemy of the liver health. It's the scarring that prevents the liver from doing what it's supposed to do. It's the scarring that causes liver cirrhosis and puts patients at risk for liver cancer. Wow, that's crazy. Fascinating how that all just works out and but at all of this given time without the simple blood test to kind of identify you may have it somebody would never know until they're starting to get the cirrhosis and the hardening exactly and this is unfortunately the situation that I face every day especially um, on my inpatient service or in the hospital I oftentimes am asked to see a patient who may be in a hospital for a different reason or maybe for a liver related reason and they have never been diagnosed with liver disease, right? And since they're not drinkers, they don't really think mm -hmm. that they're at risk for liver disease and their doctor may not necessarily think that. But if you, again, to reiterate, if you are a patient with risk factors, you know, we call it metabolic syndrome, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, central obesity, 
those are the patients that probably proactively should ask their doctors, am I at risk for liver disease, for fatty liver disease? Should I get additional testing? Good. And that's, that's great because you do sometimes, especially in, in, on a topic like this, because it's, it's not out there. People aren't, you know, we, we started the conversation about fatty liver disease. I'm like, I'm not really sure I know what that is. Um, one of the questions I had, you said it was primarily in a Hispanic um, population. Is it hereditary within a Hispanic population? So once again, somebody that's not quite obese, but a parent or a grandparent had fatty liver disease that was diagnosed. Is that something people should be looking at as well? Absolutely. Uh, we, I actually take care of entire families that, you know, starting from grandma to the daughter to the granddaughter, all of whom have fatty liver disease. And as we mentioned, it's a genetic polymorphism that is responsible for it. So certainly inheriting that genetic polymorphism or that unusual or different gene would make you more prone to the disease. Okay. Now, just because you have the gene doesn't mean you are destined to get the disease. You know, you can um, combat that by healthy lifestyle, by taking care of your diabetes, your high cholesterol, by exercising, avoiding excessive weight gain. So not everybody who is Hispanic or Asian and has that genetic polymorphism will develop um, significant fatty liver disease. Okay, so let's talk a, a little bit about the, the treatment piece of it. You stated that how you can improve your health by eating better, exercising, um, the, you know, the thing that every doctor tells you to do. What, what is, is there a medical treatment behind it that somebody that has it that you're treating patients with? So that's a really great question. Um, the short answer to that is no. There is no medical treatment for fatty liver disease and for liver scarring or fibrosis at this time. Uh, the, the good news, there's a couple pieces of good news here. One is weight loss and lifestyle modifications work very well. Even in patients who have advanced liver disease, fibrosis, scarring of the liver, uh, losing approximately 10% of their body weight will result in reduction of liver scarring. So again, even in advanced disease, we can still work with lifestyle modification and weight loss. The second piece of good news is that, as you probably have heard, we have recently been able to cure hepatitis C, which is amazing and the best right. thing that mm -hmm. happened in my career. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but what happened is that a lot of scientists who were preoccupied with working on hepatitis C have now shifted their focus to treatment and management of fatty liver disease. So right now there's a lot of active research uh, that is going on all over the country as well as worldwide aimed at finding the cure for fatty liver disease. Um, here at UCSF Fresno, we have uh, four actively recruiting clinical trials for patients who have fatty liver disease and liver scarring. So they can have the opportunity to potentially be in those clinical trials and have access to those newer medications that are still in process of development. Have you, um, with those patients, are you, are you seeing um, good outcomes so far, or is it too, too early to tell? Um, overall, I think it's too early to tell. Um, all of those studies are multi-year studies, because unlike hepatitis C, where we can cure it, check the lab, and be done with it, fatty liver disease is something that happens to patients over years, 
and uh, it's more of a chronic disease. Okay. So they will likely need to be on medication for a good long time. Therefore, the trials are generally longer than what we've seen in hepatitis C. Do you think that they, uh, the scientists, that there will be a cure for it? It's a really good question. I am certainly very hopeful and very excited to participate in those clinical trials, but I think I have a hard time imagining that the fatty liver will be cured by a single magic pill. I think it's all going to need to go together with lifestyle modifications, weight loss, healthier diet, and uh, you know probably there's going to be need there's going to be a need for some government intervention in terms of um, limiting um, sugary things and soft drinks, especially to kids who are developing those taste preferences very early on. Yes, and, and that is coming. I wholeheartedly believe that um, that is coming from a federal standpoint as well. Well, what, you know, the we could talk on and on about lifestyle modification and diet and exercise and improvement on that. Um, all of those to not only treat, but also to prevent that's that's the other important piece of it what you know do you have any additional advice of of you know the younger person who has a history of family obesity and you know what should they be looking for in themselves if they still are fairly um healthy but you know don't want to is there another prevention piece of it that they could um keep doing or working on absolutely so certainly the best way to um, take care of the diseases and never get in in the first place, right? So um, certainly looking at the younger kids, looking at the intervention maybe in elementary school, maybe in intermediate school to teach the kids about proper nutrition, um, uh, proper exercise, avoiding the, you know, the sugary drinks, um, that probably is the right time and the right place to start the intervention. In fact, we are... Um, starting a study, hopefully in the next academic year, in um, the uh, elementary school children to take a look at their um, health of the liver with a fiber scan in the beginning of the year. As the year progresses, we will have a series of educational seminars for them, again, about all nutrition, healthy eating, exercise, whatnot. And then the end of the year, we'll come back with a fiber scan and remeasure it to see if we were able to decrease, if our intervention was able to decrease successfully the amount of fat in the liver. So certainly starting early um, uh, is key to um, stopping this epidemic that we're currently facing. That's great. Well, it sounds like you're very busy with this topic, and um, and I'm sure you are just knowing the, the general population in, in the Central Valley. Um, uh, you know, is there anything I'm forgetting to ask you or that you would like to say about, about the topic? Well, the like you mentioned before, you know, we talked a lot about lifestyle modifications and weight loss and whatnot. So these things take time. You know, oftentimes the patient want to do something now. What can I do now, in it, you know, to make my fatty liver disease better? Well, there's a couple of not quick fixes, but things that we can do here and now and feel good about it. One is um, uh, probiotics. or okay. uh, So probiotics 
are uh, found in primarily, for example, in yogurt, mm-hmm. right? It's a bacteria that healthy makes, bacteria. It's a healthy yeah. bacteria that makes the milk curdle. And when we eat um, these this yogurt with healthy bacteria, it makes our gut bacteria healthy as well. That in turn in turn decreases the inflammation in the liver. And you remember that inflammation is what causes a scarring of the liver. Mm-hmm. So one of the easier things that we can do in terms of our lifestyle changes is to start eating yogurt um, every day to get our gut healthier. Now, when we talk about eating yogurt, I want to specify that we're looking for two things. One, it has to say with live bacteria, with active bacteria. And the second thing, it ideally should be plain right? No sugar added. You may add some fruits or some berries to it to make it more palatable. Otherwise, if you're buying a pre-sugared yogurt, you're essentially eating dessert. The other thing that we can do similar to the yogurt is drink to drink coffee. Coffee has been studied extensively in the field of liver disease. And what we found is drinking black coffee, it has to be caffeinated, does also have a positive effect on the gut flora or the healthy bacteria. So in a way, the mechanism of action is similar to yogurt. Now, the good thing about coffee is also acts as an appetite suppressant. So if our goal is to lose weight, drinking two to three cups of coffee is also going to help with that aspect as well. I have a very healthy liver. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. Yeah. So do I. I didn't realize that coffee did that for you. So that's great. Coffee's wonderful. Big, a lot of patients... Uh, that I see feel that I take so many things away from them. They can't eat fast food. They can't drink alcohol. They have to exercise, but they can drink coffee. You can't have so your coffee, which they, is nice. Exactly. So they usually are quite happy with that recommendation. But I want to point out that eating yogurt and drinking coffee are great, but they're not a fix on its own. Mm-hmm. It has to come with all together exercise program and weight loss. Okay. You're pro- going back to the probiotics really quick that there, you can take, um, there's like a live or, um, you can buy that over the counter. It's, you know, in the cold section. Cause that's how I take my probiotics. I don't know how I, how I say it, but it's more like in a, a tablespoon a day type thing. Is that probiotics? Is that okay? Where you're not eating it in a yogurt, but you're just having, you're just purchasing the well, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, eating things as naturally as possible. In fact, I usually tell patients uh, um, when they ask me about diet recommendations, I tell them you should eat the food that your grandmother is going to consider food, right? Your grandmother might not recognize a probiotic <laughs> uh, that you take uh, from the frozen section as, as a food. Yeah. So I do prefer that my patients um, eat yogurt. Okay. Um, if they're lactose intolerant, another option uh, maybe kombucha. Uh, there's a taste preference to that, uh, but this is a certainly an option for lactose intolerance patient. Okay. All right. Well, I'll have to get better on the the yogurt piece <laughs> of it. Well, thank you. I, you know, if there's anything, oh, I know one thing is if somebody wanted to get in touch with you um, to see uh, a patient referral or um, self-refer themselves, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, we'll certainly be very happy to see um, a patient in our gastroenterology and hepatology associates office. And the best way to reach us is at our office number, which is 559-256-5136. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I'm sure we'll get you back in here for another topic soon. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) 